0: You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode three. Today, we're going to be talking all about environmental toxins and how they relate to your fertility. This is an important one, so stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kappler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist, and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Fertility Academy podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler, and I'm so grateful that you're here with us today. My guest today is Emma Roman, and she is an environmental engineer, and she's going to be talking all about how your body care products can affect your fertility and also environmental toxins in the larger scope of things. So not just our body care products, but the air we breathe, the water we drink, and all of those things that I think in terms of the pillars of health is a really significantly overlooked one. And it does have a significant impact on how our body functions. And so it's something that we really do need to start paying attention to, especially for seeing signs of dysfunction. I personally got into looking at using green products and paying attention to toxicity when I was in my early 20s. And so that was about 15 years ago at this point. And so I think that maybe it's something that I take for granted that some people just aren't aware of the fact that the things that we put in our body are directly of impact the way our body functions in really huge ways. And my conversation with Emma today is really going to take a dive deep into that topic. And so just to give you a little background about Emma, Emma's an environmental engineer, a mom of two, and the founder of Green at Home. Through her science-based and practical guides, courses, and membership programs, she helps moms and moms-to-be reduce toxins at home without overwhelm, a lifestyle overhaul, or spending time and money on stuff that doesn't work. Emma is a David Suzuki Foundation Queen of Green coach, a guest lecturer at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine on reproduction and environmental health, and she holds a certificate in environmental health from the University of Arizona. So without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Emma. Emma, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us on the Fertility Academy podcast. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I think it's a really important one. And I think it's one that's particularly overlooked, especially in the fertility field. We talk a lot about diet and exercise and, you know, all that stuff um, that's health promoting, but we really don't have a big conversation around toxins at this point. So I think it's really, really great to be sharing this information.
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing it to your audience. I called my podcast the missing pillar of health because it's a theme, not just infertility, but a bunch of other issues as well. So the more we can elevate awareness about it, the
0: better. Agreed, agreed. So before we jump into the conversation, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you do? Sure. I am a mom of two. They are six and
1: almost nine now. And I started in university as an environmental engineer, uh, environmental engineering student. And I ended up in a lot of different Fields on co op terms, but what I landed on really enjoying was green buildings. And that launched me into a career for about 10 years, working in commercial office towers, making them greener, healthier spaces, as well as communities. And so it was really my education where I learned a lot about our water and what we were putting into our water systems and what we couldn't remove from our water treatment plants and then looking at our indoor spaces and the air that we're in and what's used to build buildings i started to develop an understanding that i hadn't really learned before and that it started the awareness of toxins but at a fairly superficial level And I had started making some changes in my own home. Even as a university student, I switched to green cleaners, cold turkey, once I discovered what we were putting into our waterways. And I kind of chipped away solely at things over time. Fast forward to when I had my kids and like so many new parents, it kind of opened my eyes to this whole new world because all of a sudden you've got this little baby that uh, you needed to think about. And it was on my second maternity leave that I really wanted to figure out if everything that I was doing was worth it, because it wasn't normal. And part of me wanted to find out that I was just going overboard and I could go back to living like a normal person. And I did not discover that. I discovered quite the opposite. And I created the Green at Home blog because part of my research frustration was that I couldn't find very balanced, practical information to help me come up with a strategy that would work for my family. We were two working parents, full-time. We now had two young kids. I wasn't a homesteader. Um, and I I didn't like how much one-sided information there was out there. And so I decided to create a platform to find that middle ground. And that launched me into a whole new career trajectory with Green at Home. And so I've been taking kind of everything that I learned from my university degree and my corporate career, and now I focus on helping moms and moms-to-be understand the importance of toxins, but also how to address them in a practical
0: and strategic way in their own homes. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I think that this is going to be a conversation that's really relevant to uh, the audience. I think most people that are going to be listening here today are going to be part of the moms to be uh, camp of things, but there might be people who are looking to optimize fertility for their second children or more. Um, So let's get into the conversation. Um, So I know that you talk a lot about a hormone disruptors in your work, and how that relates to the way our body works, and then fertility specifically. So could you just explain a little bit about what hormone disruptors are and how they affect us? Sure. Hormone disruptors are a class of chemical
1: that affect our hormones in a few different ways. Um, They can disrupt the way that our natural hormones are made or metabolized they can block the way that our hormones connect with their receptor sites so our hormones act like a kind of lock and key mechanism, where they attach themselves to the cells that they need to then trigger a different kind of a chain reaction. So hormone disruptors can block that from happening, um, which then makes the downstream effects not happen. Um, and they can make it seem like we have more hormones in our body than we actually do our natural hormones, uh, which again causes a ripple effect um, for our health. A lot of people think of hormone disruptors as only affecting reproductive function, um, but our hormones govern every part of our body, right? So their impact is um, very broad and far-reaching. I wish that somebody had talked to me more about this stuff when I was trying to conceive. I think preconception and early pregnancy care does not address this enough, but that is actually when you can have the biggest impact on A, your own fertility, but also your future baby's health down the line. So this is why I love having this conversation for this particular audience, because the impact for generations is huge.
0: Right, of course, because it's not just about achieving that pregnancy. It's about going on to have a healthy pregnancy and then keeping your kids healthy thereafter. And not only that, but also making sure that your body is healthy after you have kids so you can have a long life, raising your kids, seeing them grow up, etc. So it doesn't just stop at egg, meat, sperm. It continues on beyond that in a very big way. Exactly. And so how do these hormone disruptors specifically affect fertility? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? yeah so
1: the one of the big I guess things that people like to discredit about toxins and and when I say toxins and chemicals in this conversation, sometimes I use them interchangeably, but I do want to make it clear that chemicals are not the bad guy, not all chemicals are bad. and when I'm talking about toxins, um a lot of people think that toxins are just something that is going to kill you if you have too much of it. But in environmental health, when we talk about toxins, it's things that interrupt our body's ability to live vibrant, thriving, healthy lives, right? So I just want to clear up that terminology because it can be confusing. Um, So when it comes to fertility, different chemicals act in different ways. Um, It can reduce sperm function. And motility, so BPA is one example of a hormone disruptor that has been shown to um, affect sperm function. Um, Pesticides have been shown to demonstrate fertility issues, and they act in different ways. That's one thing that because the research is still evolving, The exact mechanisms aren't necessarily clear yet, but the mounting evidence is showing when they're looking at these cohorts of couples who are trying to conceive, they look at, um, you know, time to pregnancy or success of live birth, those sorts of things. And they're seeing a link with the concentration of certain hormone disrupting chemicals
0: in the partners with negative outcomes. Interesting, interesting. And so, you know, the research is obviously reflecting the harm that some of these chemicals are doing, um, and some of these toxins. But could you give us an idea of some of the sources of these toxins? You know, how do we get exposed to these things on a regular basis? So, there
1: are... Lots of different ways
0: that we're exposed. Um,
1: the one way that can be daunting is that, unfortunately, a lot of these chemicals have become ubiquitous in our water and our soils, and therefore our food and what we drink. Um, and there are some things that we have no control over, but this is why it is so important that we take action on the things that we can control. So, um, examples of where they're found, I'd mentioned BPA. So BPA is found in hard plastics, everyone became aware of it when um, Nalgene water bottles, you know, we found out that they contain BPA. And so now a lot of hard plastics are um, BPA free, it became banned in baby bottles because the research had shown the um, detrimental effects on our health. But their BPA is also found in can linings. So, if you're eating a lot of canned food, especially um, highly acidic like tomatoes or fatty food, the BPA has been shown to leach into the food um, stored in those cans. And the issue with BPA and looking for BPA free products is because everybody became aware that BPA was not so great. industry removed it but replaced it with two usually it was one of two other bisphenols that's what the b stands for in, or the bp stands for in bpa and so bisphenol s and f became common replacements but you could slap that bpa free label on and everyone would think it was fine so hard plastics are a source of BPA. Another common one are phthalates. And these can be found in our personal care products. Um, They can be found in synthetic fragrance. So anything from candles to garbage bags are more and more scented now. um, And personal care products and cleaners. Synthetic fragrance does not need to be itemized the with the ingredients that is in it. And phthalates can be used in fragrance to make it smell better, longer. And so they may or may not be on the ingredient list, they will be on the ingredient list in personal care products if they're used as an individual um, as an ingredient separate from fragrance. And then some of the environmentally pervasive chemicals that I talked about, things like pesticides, um, which we can control to some extent, depending on what we're eating. Some of it we can't. Definitely the pesticides that we use at home we can control. Um, And PFAS chemicals is another one that is starting to get more airtime now. And this is a class of chemicals. that's that are commonly used in nonstick and waterproof coatings. Some of them have been phased out, again, because of the um, detrimental effects on our health and the environment. But just like BPA, they're being replaced with other chemicals that we now need to kind of wait until they're in use before we amass enough research to figure out if they are safe or not. So we end up in this kind of cyclical process as these chemicals get um, used in the market and then the research builds up and then they get
0: pulled and new ones come in. It's just the way that our regulatory system works in North America, unfortunately. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I often hear things when I when I talk to people about this stuff because I've been on the the green product train since my early 20s. It's It's been about 15 years that I've been looking at this stuff now and You know, sometimes when you talk to people about this, you get a lot of pushback. I often hear things like, products wouldn't be sold if they weren't safe, or there Mm -hmm. isn't enough of these chemicals in our products to cause harm, or I grew up with it and I'm fine. You know, how would you respond to those?
1: Yeah, those are so common. I actually wrote a blog post uh, with my rebuttals to those because so many people in my community end up wanting to make changes, but you hit kind of a roadblock, especially if your partner isn't necessarily on board, it's really challenging. So I'll give you the link to that blog post, and maybe you can include it in the show notes, but Cole's notes version. So there were a few different responses, depending on what the concern is. So the first one was,
0: products wouldn't be sold if they weren't safe.
1: Yeah, so This goes back to what I alluded to about the regulatory system in North America. And unfortunately, we have what's called a post-market regulatory system. And so there are certain things that manufacturers need to demonstrate before they put a product on store shelves. But generally, the ingredients or the full product itself isn't undergoing complete, full toxicological testing before we're using it. And we've seen examples of this again and again where things are used for sometimes decades. I mentioned some of them already, you know, DDT, BPA, PFAS chemicals used in Teflon, all of these things, they get used for years until we find out that they are detrimental. And so, unfortunately, we can't just go with what is on store shelves, we are kind of the, we are kind of the test subjects. Um, And so it's not to say that everything that is on store shelves shouldn't be, but we need to look at it a lot more critically. And as consumers, we need to look at the research that's been done and
0: understand whether something is suitable for our families or not. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so what about the second point where people say there aren't enough of these chemicals in our products to cause harm? It's such a small part of the ingredients list, you know, how would you respond to that? And this is where the old toxicology sentiment
1: where the dose makes makes the poison comes in. Usually people end up saying if you drink too much water, it'll kill you. So everything's poisonous, but you need to have a high dose. And the, that holds true for something like water. Um, so it's hard to dispute that. However, what we're finding with toxins, particularly hormone disruptors, is that they act in the body in incredibly low concentrations. So going back to how they work in the body and what hormones are, hormones are incredibly small molecules, and they are in parts per billion of a concentration. So it's like a teardrop in a swimming pool. That would be the equivalent in terms of hormones in our bodies. And that is enough to trigger things like metabolism and neurological uh, issues or positive things, um, reproductive issues. And so because hormone disruptors are so good at mimicking our hormones, they it doesn't take very much of them to cause harm. And so the research that's being done on hormone disruptors is showing at the levels that we are exposed to in our day to day. It's not just about exposures like what used to be tested in terms of workers on farm fields and workers in manufacturing plants that they are exposed to incredibly high doses. We are looking at studies of average people going through their daily lives and what their body burden, which is the accumulation of toxins in their system what their body burden is, and then how that manifests as a health issue. So, uh, yes, in each individual product, many of these chemicals are in incredibly low concentrations. However, it doesn't take very much when we're talking about hormone disruptors. Plus, we're not just exposed to a single product, right? We are putting on lotions and deodorant and makeup and face cream, and we're drinking water, and we're eating food, and we're wearing clothes and right like it, all of these things um, add up. And so the low concentration argument does not hold true for everything.
0: Wow, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I remember I was at the gym about a year ago, back when you know, gyms were still open. (laughs) um, I remember and and I used to go in the mid morning which was kind of senior hour I liked it like that because it was uh, a lot quieter and I remember this one time I was in the sauna putting on my special chemical free lotion and, and the lady beside me she was probably about 80 and she said how come you're using your own they have big bottles of stuff that you can you can get here from the gym and I said well you know You don't really know if the stuff in there is is okay for your body, and I I just prefer to use products that I'm familiar with the ingredients. and And she said to me, you know, I've been coming to the gym for 20 years, and I've used it every day, and I'm totally fine. Um, So, you know, how would you respond to things like that?
1: Those always make me laugh because it's like the people who say that they've been smoking for 50 years and they don't have lung cancer, so that must mean that it's that it's okay, right? So there are a couple angles to this. One is that especially the older generations, you know, they grew up in a very different time. And so what they were exposed to, what their parents were exposed to will affect their ability to handle toxins. And so looking at an individual or even a collective of people Saying that they've been using, you know, downy dryer sheets and Clorox wipes throughout their entire house for their whole life and they're fine and their kids are fine. That's not really a scientific response. Um, but the other thing to look at is our definition of healthy and fine, I think, has been so watered down that we've forgotten what it actually means to be healthy. Like when one of the big aha moments for me was when I was in university, and I got diagnosed with asthma. I had started doing triathlons. I'd been active my whole life. I was I was into sports forever. So being an athlete wasn't a new thing. But I, when I started doing triathlons, I ended up I jumped in the water, and all of a sudden it felt like my chest was in a vice and i couldn't swim i sat there like treading water just trying to breathe for like 10 minutes watching everyone swim off and uh and then i finally could do it and i finished the race but it was it was very hard i couldn't breathe very well for the um for the whole thing and i ended up being diagnosed with asthma and it just seemed so strange to me cuz my doctor um didn't really give a reason why it had happened, and you know, prescribed me with inhalers and said, you know, use these when you're doing your races. Um, this is just how life is now. And I had suffered from allergies since I was a kid, but never something to this degree. And I didn't love the idea of being on puffers, so um, I ended up seeing a naturopath and getting um, alternative treatment. And now I, I don't have asthma, and I didn't use puff I only use puffers for uh, I don't know how long it was maybe six months um, but they uh, nobody suggested that the asthma had a root cause or that there was something that was wrong it was just oh yeah you've got asthma it happens here's a puffer and so this is something that I think we as a society have just come to accept certain things same with my um, I had an incredibly irregular and painful periods when I was younger. And so all of these things, asthma, allergies, painful periods, even infertility is almost so common now that it's just thought of as like, yes, it's not, we know it's none of these things are good, but we don't see them as being major health effects. And therefore, if we think about how healthy we are, we think like oh well we we're not you know on really crazy medication or we don't have symptoms all the time or hey we're not dead so this is a good thing <laughs> right <laughs> so i think our our version of healthy is not what it should be and so collectively we're not fine you as an individual might feel sort of healthy Um, but you know, a lot of people think that they're doing okay and they're on a whole bunch of medication. So that was a very long winded answer to when people say, I've been using this for X number of years and I'm fine. That's great. I'm happy for you. But that doesn't mean that we should continue down the path of using these products. Talc is one recent example that has hit um, headlines because of its use in baby powder And it was marketed to women to be used as a feminine hygiene product. And now it is being linked with ovarian cancer. Not every woman that used it in their underwear every day for 30 years is going to develop ovarian cancer. Um, But that doesn't mean that it isn't the cause for other people. So I think we just need to look at health a little bit differently and recognize that a single or a small subset of people who might not feel like they've been impacted isn't a scientific study.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's also important to consider what we're being told by the people who have authority in these fields as well. Um, I think the semen analysis is a really interesting example of this. Um, So the semen analysis parameters of what's considered to be normal and what's considered to be pathological or low is determined by the World Health Organization. And here in Canada, our fertility clinics tend to go by those guidelines with minor variants from lab to lab. And I think it's really interesting that we've seen a, a fairly steady decline in semen analysis parameters that being uh, motility count uh, and you know other uh, factors that we look at when we look at semen analysis and and instead of saying oh hey these factors are really changing in a big way and they're declining in a big way instead of saying hey you know maybe this is an issue maybe we should kind of look into why this is happening they, they said okay well why don't we just change the parameters of what we consider normal, they, they just lowered what what is considered normal. And, and that's kind of the new guideline that we go by. And I happen to think along with a lot of my other colleagues in the fertility world, the semen analysis can be really looked at as a fifth vital sign for men, you know, it really can be looked at as a direct reflection of our internal health on a lot of different um, in a lot of different categories. And so it's interesting to consider that it's not just that things are getting worse, that we're also being told that it's okay. Right?
1: Yeah, that's a perfect example. And uh, also disheartening.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of this information can be a little overwhelming. So I'd love to just kind of bring it back to some simple, actionable tips. I know that people who are just initially being exposed to these concepts can find it a little overwhelming and that's why I really love the programs that you have. You really make it simple and easy and well, I mean, it's never easy, but you make it simple and not too overwhelming to make these changes. But I'd love to hear just a a couple of things, maybe the top three things for people who are trying to conceive. What can they do to reduce their exposure to these hormone disruptors that you were talking about?
1: Yeah, I think the first step is to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, not let it overwhelm you. I think there's a lot of misconceptions that sharing this information is fear-mongering and that it sh- it's like, because it's it can be hard to hear, it's like it shouldn't be shared. Um, so, but this is just the reality that we're in. And by ignoring this, we don't do ourselves any favors. So I encourage you to listen with an open mind. If any of this has been triggering or hard to take in, kind of pause and take a breath and maybe listen to it again with, with a, with a clear mind. Um, because it's, we're not fear mongering here. This is, you know, based on science and research. So I just want to, um, put that out there because it can be easy to get into that mindset that I don't want to hear about it. and so therefore, I don't want to do anything about it. Um, so three steps that you can take. The first one, I think, is often overlooked by people. And I hesitate sharing this one sometimes because it's not free. But filter your drinking water. This is something that you are drinking lots of every day. And it is such an overlooked strategy. That if you do just one thing, um, this can go a long way. And the next question inevitably that people have is, what's your favorite filter? I can't tell you that because it depends on where you live. If you're on a well, if you're on municipal water, if your municipality fluoridates their water, what um, uh, disinfection process they use, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So first you need to know what's in your water and then you can figure out what to filter out. And I have a guide to help you do that. But filtering your drinking water, ideally with more than just a Brita pitcher or a fridge filter, those really are just there to improve taste and odor. They're not um, going to remove a ton of contaminants, um, but they're better than nothing if that's all that your budget can handle. Um, So filter your drinking water would be number one. Number two, and this is where I start pretty much all of my programs and courses, and it's to read your labels on personal care products and cleaning products. Cleaners are harder because ingredients currently don't need to be disclosed, um, but on personal care products, ingredients do. So getting into the label reading habit, you're not going to understand every single ingredient on a product Um, that's okay. But just get in the habit of looking at it, start to connect the language that's on the front of the package with what you're seeing on the ingredients and become a more informed consumer. And I say to start with personal care products, because they have to list all the ingredients. And so it just helps you build this muscle, where you can start to see some of the marketing or greenwashing terminology that can pop up. And then you can apply that skill to any other product that you might be buying for yourself or for your home. Um, the easiest thing to do when you're starting to look at ingredient labels is to avoid uh, synthetic fragrance. As I mentioned earlier, we don't know what's in any individual product's fragrance um, concoction. And so it's something that I, and it's one word, on the ingredient label. So it's fairly easy to identify. So that's a great place just to start and then avoiding things like phthalates and parabens as well. And I have a label reading guide to help walk you through that and how to use um, label reading apps like think dirty is my favorite. There's also EWG skin deep. So I can give you that link to that um, resource as well. And step number three is reducing plastics and especially plastics that you're heating. So, if you've been reheating your lunch in the microwave in a plastic container, even if it says microwave safe, now is the time to stop doing that. Plastic under heat has been shown to leach the chemicals that are used to make the plastic into the food. So, whether it's BPA or phthalates or plasticizers, it's time to. Reduce your exposure to those things when you're looking at um, conceiving. So that would be that would be my my big thing. I'm not telling you to throw out everything that's plastic in your home. That would be incredibly overwhelming. But just starting to reduce
0: that in the heat, especially, um, can go a long way. Perfect. Those seem like really doable steps. And it sounds like if people go and visit your website and check out your work, then they can go a lot deeper on these subjects. And you have all sorts of guides and wonderful tools that people can get for free. Um, So thank you so much for providing all that info for the community. So if people are wanting to take another step and are wanting to actually work with you, do you have opportunities for people to work with you if they want to get more support with this kind of thing? Absolutely.
1: My course, Prepping for Pregnancy, is a six-week self-guided course that walks you through a step-by-step process specific to the um, trying to conceive or early pregnancy space. Because what I realized in building out my courses that are longer term, they don't apply to this kind of critical stage of your reproductive years because if you're trying to conceive or if you're already pregnant you're on a time limit right like you want results as as quickly as possible and so you don't have time to waste randomly trying products or kind of ad hoc picking at strategies without really having a clear focus and so I created prepping for pregnancy so that individuals and couples who wanted to really focus on getting their toxic load down with the specific, usually their hormone disruptors that have been shown to have fertility impacts and effect on the fetus, that's the priority. So uh, you can check out my website to learn more about prepping for pregnancy.
0: That's amazing. I'll be sure to link all that information into the show notes and people can find it easily. One thing I want to ask all my guests um, is uh, if there's one thing that you could tell our listeners who are total beginners, uh, what could you tell them to help them get started today?
1: Honestly, I think the the strategy that I gave earlier to take a deep breath and to go in with an open mind is really the key because none of this stuff will matter if you don't know why you're doing it. And in order to get clear on why you're doing it, you do need to take in a certain amount of information to understand. Um, the importance of this. And so being open to learning a new way of going about your daily habits is going to set you up for much greater success. If you're not feeling that, and you're feeling anxious, or like you don't want to make any changes, then I can give you all the steps in the world, but you're not going to do it because so many excuses will come up, right? And so getting super clear on why this is important to you, and then you can take action. I mean, I listed off a bunch of different strategies just in this conversation alone. I have a whole episode on hormone disruptors and fertility and pregnancy on my podcast as well that digs a little bit more into the science that might help you form that why but understanding your why with anything that you want to make a change for is I've seen with my clients and myself, it's going to be the difference between making progress and feeling constantly stuck and overwhelmed and just ending up in this cycle of wanting to do better, but getting down and not able to do it. So
0: go back to your why. I love that. That's really, really good advice. Thank you so much. So again, I'm going to link all of your info in the show notes. But just uh, so you can mention it, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about your podcast and where they can find you on social media? Sure.
1: You can find my podcast on all the major players. It's called the missing pillar of health you can find me on social media on Instagram. I'm at Emma underscore green at home. And I have a free Facebook group called the green product forum, and my website greenathome.ca, where you can find all of my free resources, blog
0: posts, podcasts, paid courses, all of that goodness. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Emma. And thank you again for all the work that you do. I think it's so important. And it's uh, it really is, I think, a crucial part of the how we're going to be healthy in the future. And of course, how we're going to get healthy now. And it'll play into how our children are healthy in the future as well. So again, thanks for everything that you do. And uh, we'll look forward to keeping in touch with you. And we'll probably have you back on the podcast again soon. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, Emma. Bye. So that was my conversation with Emma Roman. Isn't she amazing? She makes this big, intimidating, overwhelming subject seem a little bit more easy. And uh, she has such a calming presence to uh, the work that she does. So I'm going to go ahead and link all of the information in the show notes for you so you can get in touch with Emma or you can download some of her free items to help you explore this topic a little bit further. I'd love to hear what you think about this. So over in the uh, Fertility Academy community group on Facebook, we're always interested in discussing these things. So I'd love to hear what changes you've made and what steps you're taking. So you can find the community on facebook and i will link that in the show notes as well as with anything that we're doing to make changes to our health it can feel really overwhelming at first but as emma said take a deep breath go in with an open mind and just put one foot in front of the other so that's it for me i'm michelle kepler signing off and i'll see you next week thank you for joining us on fertility academy we hope you enjoyed the episode If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, The Fertility Academy Community. Both are linked in the show notes today. Until next time, have a great week.